Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Today's sponsor is Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized exercise, nutrition, and supplementation plan to optimize your health. Claim your 20% discount at InsideTracker.com slash NewScientist. Hello and welcome to New Scientist Weekly. I'm Penny Sarchet. And I'm Rowan Hooper. Welcome to the show. On the pod this week, uh, I'm going to take a deep breath because we have Michael LePage and Jacob Aaron from London, Alice Klein from Australia, Leia Crane from Chicago and Corinne Wetzel from New York. Welcome everyone. Hello. Hello. Hi. <laughs> On the show this week, we're catching up with the latest on COVID variants, and we're going to hear about how investment in Bitcoin has got the economy of El Salvador into trouble. And I've been speaking with Alice about how solar activity can influence the workings of your heart, uh, which kind of makes it sound like a romantic novel, doesn't it? But it's <laughs> but it's not. Um, and Corinne has a, a heroic life form of the week for us. But we want to start this week with a cosmic story, although it's disturbing news for those of us who like to live in a symmetrical reality. Leia, it turns out we're living in a lopsided universe? Yeah, maybe. Um, This is a story that I've done this week on two separate analyses of this big sample of a million galaxies showing that their distribution might not be symmetrical, which might mean that our understandings of gravity or maybe the early universe are incorrect. This makes me think straight away of the axis of evil. That was when scientists looked at a map of the cosmic microwave background, the kind of afterglow of the Big Bang, and found that it was lumpy when it should have been nice and uniform. That's right, isn't it, Leia? Yeah, and that turned out to to not quite be right. But <laughs> this Just, is... I love the I love the axis of evil so much. I forgot whether it was <laughs> right or wrong. Yeah, I, I totally get it. And and this is an analysis of galaxies, not the cosmic microwave background. But it's mm. a similarly huge sample, and it is similarly weirdly not uniform. Okay, so even though I couldn't quite remember the about the axis of evil, I can understand why the cosmic microwave background should be uniform. But I don't quite understand why we should expect galaxies to be uh, have this symmetrical distribution. Yeah, so it's about basically the way the early universe works and gravity. Like I said before, there's this sort of universal rule called parity symmetry, which basically says that there should be as much 
left-handed stuff as right-handed stuff in the universe. So if you think about like a spiral galaxy, that's not what this story is about, but there should be the same amount that spiral one way and, and that spiral the other way based on our understanding of general relativity. And it's weird that there's not. I think anything where the universe is lopsided is sort of unexpected. So without going into too much detail on, on how they measured it, we'll, we'll post a link to your story in our show notes for anyone who wants to find out. But let's say more measurements are done and this surprising finding holds up. What does it mean if, if we're not <laughs> seeing what we're expecting here? It means that there must have been something extra in the early universe. The hand Basically, of God. <laughs> well, Alien. probably an additional force, an additional sort of a field and particle type thing. But right now, you can't really have something affect the entire distribution of galaxies in the universe in the modern day because it's just so big. Yeah. But right after the Big Bang, everything was pretty small and closer together. So if you had an extra force then, even if it wasn't super, super strong you could sort of plant the seed of this asymmetry and then it expands and goes on to affect the distribution of galaxies. But it's still a, yeah. it'd be a new force, a completely new force, right? Yes. Uh, there are a lot of different ideas for what could do this, but one of them is a whole new force. And there are others that have to do with gravity behaving differently than we expected. Okay. And I'm just thinking about asymmetry in the universe. We already knew that there was this major problem with um, having more matter than antimatter in the universe. So is that a, a different kind of asymmetry or is this all part of the same problem? The answer is we're not really sure. There's a possibility that they're all connected. There's a bunch of different asymmetries. But because we don't know what's caused any of them, we don't know if they all have the same cause or not. Basically, we've measured a bunch of weird stuff, and we don't know why it's so weird. <laughs> now we have that story about how the activity of the sun may be affecting our heart health right here on Earth. New research suggests that the sun's activity may be causing up to 5,000 deaths in some years in the US alone by messing with our heart rhythms. Rowan spoke to our reporter Alice Klein to find out more. Hi, Alice. Okay, so at the moment in here in Europe, we're talking about heat waves, but this story isn't about heat waves, is it? It's about solar activity, which seems pretty spooky. Yeah, well, I must admit, when I first saw this research, I was a bit sceptical because it did seem to have a bit of an alternative medicine astrology vibe, like <laughs> you are at one with the sun. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's actually been done by some very well-respected researchers at Harvard, and they've done a high-quality analysis. I mean, I guess if you think about it, the sun makes up more than 80% of the mass of our solar system, and we're totally dependent on it for light and heat. So it makes sense that our health would be synced up to it in some ways. Yeah, and we're also affected by the phases of the moon. So yeah, it makes sense. All right, but how does the sun affect our hearts? Well, the sun goes through this 11-year cycle of high activity and low activity. And during periods of high activity, there are all these solar storms, which means the sun spits out um, these charged particles and magnetized plasma, and that can distort Earth's magnetic field. And we already knew that these disruptions to the Earth's magnetic field could cause glitches in our power grids and occasionally bring down satellites, but it seems that they can also affect our heart rhythms. Okay, go on. So what's the evidence for that? 
Well, the Harvard researchers started by looking at death records for 263 US cities between 1985 and 2013. Then they compared those against space weather reports that had been collected by NASA for the same period. And they found that on days when there were these solar storms affecting the Earth's magnetic field, there were more deaths from heart attacks and other cardiovascular complications. And that meant that in years of high solar activity, they thought there were actually an extra 5,500 heart-related deaths in the US alone. Wow, okay. All right, so, but that's a correlation. And how do we, we can't do experiments on people with, uh, you know, increased solar activity. So how do we make a stronger link? Yeah, so to try to actually understand what's going on here and why there might be this link between solar activity and heart deaths, the researchers then analyze electrocardiograms, which are also known as ECGs, and they monitor the heart's electrical activity. So they looked at these ECGs for 800 men in the US who are part of this long-term health study. And their ECGs showed that they were more likely to have a reduced heart rate variability, which is basically a sign that the heart is under stress when solar storms had disrupted the Earth's magnetic field in the last 24 hours. And this was particularly the case for men who already had established heart disease. I mean, that's really amazing, but what I still can't understand why the, the Earth's magnetic field disruptions to that can cause these abnormal heart rhythms. Yeah, so we still don't really understand that. But the researchers think that changes to the Earth's magnetic field then affect our circadian rhythms, which, you know, are our body clocks, and they help to regulate our heart rate and other autonomic processes. So if you throw our body clocks out of whack, then that might mess up our heart rhythms too. Um, Mm. But yeah, they do need to do some more research to really nail down those exact mechanisms. And, you know, once we do know why solar storms are affecting our hearts, then we might be able to find ways of protecting people, particularly with vulnerable hearts, when, you know, there's a a big solar storm predicted. It is amazing because I I guess I assumed that it was only sort of day length and the the cycle of light and dark that sets our circadian rhythms. And we know, we do know that they are really fundamental to our health and they have so much influence in lots of bodily functions. So I wonder if solar activity can affect, you know, have other impacts on our health as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really interesting question. And The research in this area is still quite preliminary, but there is evidence uh, or some evidence that solar activity may be linked to things like depression and suicide and even preterm births. And it also appears to affect some other animals' health too. Like, for example, I found out that whale strandings are four times more common during solar storms, which I thought was really interesting. So there's still a lot we don't know, but it does seem like we need to take the effect of the sun on our health more seriously, especially because the next big surge in solar activity is expected to occur in 2025, which is not that far away. All right. Okay. Well, let's get ready for it. Okay. All right. Thanks, Alice. Let's take a break to tell you about the next online event from New Scientist. It's all about the evolution of childhood with your expert guide, anthropologist, Brenna Hassett. You can join the event online on Thursday, the 7th of July. Yeah, it's all about why humans have a uniquely long childhood compared to other primates. Uh, And obviously that's essential listening for anyone who's ever been a a human child. (laughs) Uh, 
do go to newscientist.com slash childhood to find out more. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Now it's time for Life Form of the Week. And Corinne, you've picked a giant rat. You're not making it easy for yourself there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, these aren't just any New York City sewer rat. These are African pouch rats that are being specially trained to become hero rats. Okay, I I like the sound of that. Do tell us more. Yes, it's, it's as adorable as it sounds. So these hero rats are being trained for search and rescue missions. Um, so there's a nonprofit based in Belgium called Apopo, and they have been training this species of rat to do all kinds of different humanitarian projects. So they have rats that are sniffing out landmines and rats that are checking salivary samples for tuberculosis. But these rats are going to be uh, trained to find people trapped under rubble after a disaster like an earthquake. And their training has been progressing quite quickly. And they're now now able to do multi-room searches for victims. They go over and under debris and search all around for anyone who who might be um, alive and, and trapped under rubble. Why are they using the, these African pouch traps then and not regular rats? Yeah, that's a really great question. So yeah, these are these are quite different from the rats we usually see around cities. The first thing you'll notice uh, when you see them is their size. So African pouch rats can range Uh, anywhere from the size of a guinea pig to a small house cat. So they get quite big, which also means, um, (laughs) but trust me, Rowan, they're adorable. (laughs) I guess if it was me, my first question would be like, okay, great, there's a rat, but how are they going to get me out of here? Right, exactly. So of course, the rat doesn't do the rescuing itself, but helps uh, first responders find you. So uh, the reason that this species are, are called pouch rats is because they can stuff lots of food in their big cheek pouches. And it, they're a great species to use for this kind of task because they take about a year to train and then they live for about 10 years. So they have lots of time that they can be working rats and, and helping people. And presumably, like other rodents, they've got a really good sense of smell. Does that come in handy? Yes, absolutely. These rodents have super sensitive noses. So just to give you an idea, pouch rats have 
about a thousand genes that are linked to odor detection, while dogs have about 800 and humans have just 400. So that makes them really well suited for this kind of work. And the way they do the search and rescue is a trainer uh, is holding them, releases them into a into a debris site, and the rats start searching all around, over and under, checking different rooms. And when they get as when they find a person and they get as close as they can to them, they pull a little ball on their backpack, which then um, emits a sound, and that alerts the trainers to where a victim is. And then the trainer can then play a special sound that recalls the rat. And for the rodent's hard work, they get a tasty treat like uh, mashed banana or blueberry or even special rodent biscuits. Wow. So what are they going to carry in their backpacks, these rats? (laughs) Yeah. So the backpacks um, really are more like souped up vests. So they've got these, um, right now they're just using a a prototype backpack, which has the ball they can pull and emits the sound, but soon they'll be getting a, a newer model, an upgraded backpack. So The full backpack will include a location transmitter, a video camera so a first responder can see what the rat is doing and even communicate with the victim. It'll have a two-way communication system. Um, And then then the rat will also announce it's a hero rat through a little sound in its backpack. Because, of course, if if you're a victim trapped under rubble and suddenly there's a backpack-wearing rat there with you, um, it could all be a bit confusing. So... So the rat will have play some sort of message. They haven't settled on exactly what it is yet, but, you know, saying, hi, I'm a rescue rat. I'm here to help you. You can communicate through me, that kind of thing. Uh, are they going to play it in like George Clooney's voice or Angelina Jolie saying, uh, I'm the leader of this rat pack, Rest, search and rescue leader? <laughs> that would be pretty adorable. But um, these rats actually prefer to to work solo. So these rats will look through a debris field um, on their own. So there's there's no particular leader rat. But there are certain rodents that take to the work really quickly and are instant stars. Um, so one of the one of the handlers was telling me um, that one of the rats learned to pull the ball uh, on her vest in just one training session. So they they can learn incredibly quickly, especially the ones that are naturally curious and bold. I think you said um, it takes about a, a year to train, which I guess given how complex all of this is, that's really quite impressive. I, I wondered, is there any way to know if the rats enjoy the training and the work? Do they do they get fun out of it? <laughs> yeah, so uh, it seems they do. They really like complex tasks and cognitive challenges. And in the wild, they would use their noses to, to find food. Um, and so it really is a sort of natural display of their abilities. And they train, they train the rats step by step. So um, it'll take a couple weeks for them to, let's say, master pulling the ball on their backpack and a few more weeks to, to level up into looking through more complex debris and, and bigger, um, bigger areas and, and that sort of thing. The trainer that I talked with said the rats really in- seem to enjoy the work because uh, it's sort of like a playground for them with all sorts of things they get to sniff. And then some rats that don't take to the work, maybe they're not quite as naturally curious. They might be better suited for another, another humanitarian job, like smelling saliva samples for TB, for example. So there's different work for different types of rats. And then some just uh, would rather go into uh, early retirement or uh, enter the breeding program. So there's lots of options. (laughs) This story just has so much going on in it. Um, So the breeding program, what they selecting for different traits then? So they could literally breed a race of hero rats. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so each rat has its own unique strengths, so they aren't trying to breed, let's say, a perfect rat for the job. But they do have to do a little bit of matchmaking because uh, some of the rodents don't get along, so the breeding program can be a little bit complicated. But no, there won't be any ginormous backpack-wearing super rats running around anytime soon.
Right, let's talk about cryptocurrency. It was reaching really dizzying heights, but has crashed. And not just Bitcoin, which is the main one we've all heard of, but other cryptocurrencies too. Jacob, um, you're our crypto guy. What's going on? So in the past few months, the price of Bitcoin has fallen from almost $50,000 to below $20,000, which is its lowest since the end of 2020. It's recovered slightly since then, but it's really been a massive fall for, for people. Almost a trillion dollars of value gone Wow, off Bitcoin. Yeah. Can you remember what the price of one Bitcoin was when you first wrote a story about it? Yeah, so this was back in 2011 when Bitcoin really first hit the mainstream. I think it was probably about $5 when I first started writing uh, my article. <laughs> uh, I, I seem to remember we had to change it to $7 just before publication because the price had changed uh, in, in that day or two. Yeah, and obviously you went and bought yourself uh, a couple of hundred Bitcoin. Yes, right I'm a secret crypto millionaire, <laughs> uh, billionaire. Just haven't yeah. mentioned it before. Yeah, okay. Okay, so we it, we had this massive rise in value, and it's had the kind of instability though that's that is inherent in an unregulated currency, isn't it? And there's been these concerns over the carbon footprint of the stuff, which we never really thought about in the early days, because making when when you mine Bitcoin, as they call it, it uses so much computing energy that's fed by coal power stations often, isn't it? Yeah, so currently the uh, the whole Bitcoin network uses as much annual electricity as a country the size of the Netherlands, uh, <laughs> or also it, it, it's uh, equivalent to all of the uh, fridges in the US, uh, which I was amused by. Just just all of all of the electricity used by fridges in the US is equivalent to the entire electricity use <laughs> of the Netherlands, which I think tells you something about the size of fridges in America. In terms of the carbon footprint, the exact mix is hard to calculate because you don't know exactly how much electricity from different sources is being used to generate Bitcoin. But we do know that you know there is a, a large carbon cost to using that kind of electricity. What about the price of Bitcoin? How does that influence the carbon cost of mining it? So it doesn't influence it directly, but as the price goes up, people will seek out new sources of energy to try and exploit uh, with mining farms. And actually, recently, there was a coal plant in New York that had been mothballed. A Bitcoin mining company bought it up and restarted it so that they could burn coal to mine Bitcoin. Yeah, uh, Obviously yeah. not what we want to be doing in a world of trying to get to net zero. Okay, so look, we've we've heard about the trillion dollar loss of um, value of Bitcoin, but there's this incredible case of the country of El Salvador, isn't there? Tell us about that. So El Salvador made Bitcoin legal tender in September, being the first country in the world to to do so. It's obviously a bit of an experiment. It's one that hasn't really worked so far with various people refusing to use it or just cashing in the, the Bitcoin they got from the States and then never using the system again. So <sighs> even before this big crash, it was kind of uh, limping along. But now um, we've got a story from Luke Taylor, uh, our reporter, saying that the country's Bitcoin holdings have lost more than half of their value. Although it's worth noting that Finance Minister Alejandro uh, Zelassi says they haven't lost anything because they've not sold their Bitcoin. So, you know, their one Bitcoin is still worth one Bitcoin. But I mean, at some stage, they're presumably going to ha they'd have to use up that capital they've put into Bitcoin, wouldn't they? Yeah, I mean, really, it's not possible to operate a country just running on Bitcoin. At some point, people are going to want more traditional Actual. currencies. And, and when you yeah. cash out, you know, you're going to see that that loss in value. 
exactly how much El Salvador has spent on rolling out Bitcoin is, is unclear, but one estimate puts it at $200 million. That might not sound like much, but uh, for a country with an economy uh, like El Salvador's, that's the equivalent of the US spending $200 billion on something. So a massive yeah. expenditure for El Salvador. What were they thinking? I, I think, you know, the price was going up. There was a bandwagon to, to be jumped on. The president of El Salvador, uh, Naibu Bukali, is a huge Bitcoin fan. So really, he's he's been able to push this through. Right. You know, being generous, perhaps he sees the investment in Bitcoin. He sees it's going to potentially draw people into the country. Obviously, it's not really worked. Yeah. And they do still have the US dollar as an official currency. So even if Bitcoin really did wipe out this this whole chunk of their of the investment they've put in, it wouldn't it's not going to bring the country down, is it? No, but it's potentially going to end up defaulting on debts that it otherwise wouldn't. And you yeah. can imagine that, you know, institutions like the World Bank or the International Monetary Fund are going to take a pretty dim view yeah. of this experiment if they then come, you know, cap in hand asking for a bailout. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask if any other countries are looking at um, Bitcoin, but I guess this example will have put anyone else off. Well, so the Central African Republic did recently announce uh, they were going to become the second country to make Bitcoin legal tender. But again, even before the crash, uh, they, they seemed a much less likely candidate to succeed, even than El Salvador. One of the big problems in the CAR is that only 10% of people there have internet access which is obviously something that you need if you want to be spending Bitcoin. So yeah. it's possible that they're going to pull back in, in the face of this massive loss in value. Okay, it's beginning to feel like Groundhog Day again. Um, Michael, you've been looking into the latest wave of COVID infections in, in multiple countries caused by new variants that are known as BA4 and BA5. And this is what we expected, isn't it? More variants of the coronavirus. Uh, yes, I'm afraid it is. Uh, so as I've reported on before, the most likely scenario for the future is that we get wave after wave of COVID going around the world as new variants evolve. And that seems to be exactly what's happening. So now in a lot of countries, particularly in Europe, these new variants called BA4 and BA5 have become the main variants. Uh, and in some places, cases are starting to increase again. But globally, aren't we getting really low levels of case numbers? Well, they, they certainly sort of look low on paper. But what you've got to remember is that most countries are doing a lot less testing as well. So to some extent, this is due to less testing rather than right. cases falling. So actually, the UK, we have a really good picture of what's happening because the Office for National Statistics carries out these surveys looking at how many people are infected at any one time. And that shows even at the lowest level we had this year, which was sort of just, just before June, there was still one in 70 people infected. So that's still quite high. And it's now gone mm. up to one in 50. So it's it's only up again. Mm, it's really high when you think about back when it was kind of one in 100,000. And, and that was the sort of alert level. We yeah. Out. And it's high uh, when you think about if you're a, in a pub or a, an event that, you know, one in 50, it, it could easily be someone in that area with you has has it. Exactly. So um, what about these two new variants then? What do we know? So they are basically new flavours of Omicron. So that, uh, yes, I'm still calling it that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So the term Omicron actually refers to a whole family of viruses. And the first Omicron wave was caused by BA1 and then BA2 took over. And now we've got BA4 and BA5 taking over, which have a few more mutations that help them evade immunity even better than sort of BA1 and BA2 did. So how much of a problem is that now? Because so many populations, especially in the UK, there's there's relatively high vaccination rates and a lot of people have already been infected. Well, actually, the somewhat worrying thing is we're not entirely sure what to expect. So South Africa has already had its BA4 and BA5 wave. And just as we expected, it was much milder than previous waves with, with fewer deaths, fewer people in the hospitals. Portugal was next. Uh, it was the first country in Europe to have a BA5 wave. And uh, it's actually had just as many deaths as it did in its first Omicron wave. And so no one's quite sure why that is or what will happen in the rest of Europe. And if you're looking further afield, then I think China in particular is still in a very vulnerable position. So China didn't prioritize vaccinating its elderly because it thought it would keep zero COVID going, that they wouldn't get infected. But now it's been struggling to contain all these Omicron variants because they're so transmissible. But it hasn't, still hasn't vaccinated all of its elderly people. But Omicron is milder overall, isn't it? So the first thing to say is that while BA1 and BA2 were milder compared with the Delta variant, they can still be really dangerous if they get into vulnerable people with no immune protection. So we saw that in Hong Kong, which had the highest COVID death rate ever reported when BA2 got into a lot of unvaccinated elderly people. And what's also slightly concerning is that some initial lab studies suggest that BA5 has reverted back to infecting cells in the same way as Delta. So possibly, we don't know this for sure, but possibly it might not be any milder than Delta. So um, we know, I think, that BA5 and BA4 are accounting for an increasing proportion of infections in the UK. What should countries do about it? Well, as ever, the most important thing is get vaccinated. If you're eligible for vaccination or a booster and you haven't had it yet, go and get it. It could save your life. Really important. Beyond that, I mean, I think if cases is high, you might personally want to think, for instance, about wearing a mask in some situations where you may have stopped or avoiding crowded indoor situations. As Rowan was saying, you know, with the numbers going up, the, the odds of getting infected are, are going up higher. So personally, I, I'm going to still be wearing a mask on, on the tube train, for instance. Okay, thanks, Michael. Uh, We've got more on this and what it might mean for long COVID in the magazine this week. That's it for this week. Thanks to our guests, Michael LePage, Jacob Aaron, Alice Klein, Leah Crane and Corinne Wetzel. And thanks to you for listening. Do remember to rate our show and subscribe and tell all your friends and family to listen. And if you'd like to try free unlimited access to all our news and in-depth articles in print, in our app and online, go to newscientist.com slash four weeks free to find out more. That's the digit four, newscientist.com slash four weeks free. And we'll put a link in the show notes. I'm Rowan Hooper. And I'm Penny Sarchet. Bye for now. Bye. 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 This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk. Listener.